Well, today we're continuing part two of a sermon series that we are on for the month of March that we are calling Words to Live By. And uh, what we're doing is <coughs> part, excuse me, part of this sermon series is we're going through three chapters in Romans. We went through the whole chapter of, of four, uh, but today, since we know that we've all lost an hour of sleep, right? Yet I'm still proud of you because you all made it here this morning, okay? For those of you that uh, are watching online, we're just so glad to have you joining us as well. We're just going to do half of chapter five. How does that sound? Right? It's like a half day of school, right? You know when the teacher announces half day of school? And then next week we'll do the other half of chapter five. And so if you weren't here last week, uh, you might not know this, but we're going through these three chapters and we're looking at these key words uh, that, that Paul basically emphasizes in, in these texts. And so last week, the word that kept jumping out was justification. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at this word, reconciliation. Next week, we'll be talking about grace, and then baptism, and then ultimately, we'll end our series on righteousness. And so as you look at these words on the right, which this is actually our reading plan, which you can get on our app uh, that John talked a few moments ago about, uh, we would love it if you even want to read the text before you come in here on Sunday mornings. It's a great way to really dig in deep uh, to this series. But as we look at these words, as you look at these words, do you know what they mean? Do you know their definitions? And what do they mean for your life? See, one of the things that, that I often do when preparing for a message is I'll ask those around me. And so I'll ask the staff here at church, I'll, I'll talk to my wife, I'll talk to friends, and I'll simply ask them, uh, what is your definition? And so this week it was reconciliation. How, how do you define reconciliation? Or where have you heard this word used? Because it's not necessarily a word that we use too often in our society, wouldn't you agree? And the interesting part is over and over again, as I asked people throughout the week, the thing that kept coming up, the repeated theme more than anything else for this word was people talked about it in context of a marriage coming to an end and there having to be a reconciliation when it came to divorce. And not that the couple actually reconciled personally, it was that there came a point in, in the legal system because the, the courts had to get involved and a judge had to make the ultimate decision to reconcile basically the estate of the affairs of what brought that couple together in the beginning. I thought that's interesting, right? That that would be what comes to people's minds first. And I was thinking about it because we hear oftentimes when, when people get to that point and they're gonna separate, they're gonna, they're gonna move into that realm, uh, that they're divorcing because of what? In reckless, in reckless, I can't say it, help me. <laughs> See, you know, in reconcilable differences, right? We say, thank you, I said it at 8.30, not sure what's going on. We'll work on that. Um, and so it's like, okay, so there's these words and there's these words in society that, that are used and then we go to like God's word and we say, wait a second here, God, you had somebody write these nearly 2,000 years ago and what is it that you would want us to know and why were these words so important that he would repeat them over and over again and not just even in Romans but that it would also be repeated in 2 Corinthians which is what we're gonna look at today. And I was also thinking about this week, I was thinking about, you know, when, when you think about reconciliation, because when you dig a little bit deeper and you, you kind of do your analysis, you say, okay, yeah, I get that. that. That means two people should come together. People that have maybe harmed each other, or maybe somebody said an offense to another person. And how often in our society that doesn't happen. How there are people that just won't admit that what they've done is wrong. Or they feel that they are justified, our word from last week, they're justified in what they've said or what they have done. And I couldn't help but even think of even the movies that we watch. 
Do you ever notice that the movies that we watch, there's always like this kind of central character, there's a figure, and, and it's so easy to slip into this mindset or to, def- or to define this word this way, that, that something happened to them, something tragic happened to them, and now they are, on their, they are on a mission to reconcile what was done wrong to them. Think about it, think of the movies that you know. And then I thought, maybe, just maybe, we're changing the definition of reconciliation Maybe instead of looking at it as reconciliation, we're looking at it and we're basically redefining it and we're just using that word, but really what, what they're doing is they're going and they're trying to get revenge. And how many of us do that? This person hurt me, this person did this to me, this person offended me, or maybe they did something to somebody that I love and now I need to take out revenge so that it's actually reconciled, so I can reconcile, I can even up the score of what was done to me. And so for whatever reason, I started thinking back to my college days, which is actually 25 years ago, believe it or not. And I was thinking about some of the movies that were popular. And if you're a Gen Xer in here, we don't talk about Gen Xers nearly enough, by the way. I'm one of them. And for Gen Xers, this is for you, okay? So boomers and millennials, just go along for the ride, Gen Xers, okay? Some of you might remember these movies. It's like defined our generation. And uh, just a little tidbit about me, um, I was so obsessed with these movies and these characters and, and, you know, the crusades that they were all on that I actually had these hanging in my dorm room, okay? I had, so this was, this was all the decorations I had, four movie posters. But right, what, what's Gladiator? What's Russell Crowe? I wanted to be Russell Crowe. He's fighting because his wife and his child were murdered. You know, Mel, who doesn't want to be Mel Gibson in Braveheart and throw the sword out and paint your face blue and scream at everybody, right? Isn't, or Shawshank Redemption. Have you ever seen that? It's such a powerful movie. And even Goodwill Hunting, right? And those, the, the way that you can connect with those different things. But again, what's the lens by which we're looking at this? And maybe you don't resonate with some of those, so I, I thought I'd you know, bring the rest of you in, okay? So here's some other movies um, that, that kind of fall into this kind of same category. There's some redemptive thing along the way or toward the end of the movie that just culminates, that pulls you into this whole concept of reconciliation. But then I want you to think about this, the reason that we even gather here on Sunday morning is because of this. Because there was a moment in history when God sent his son to this earth. And not only did he hang on the cross, he was brutally beaten, right? He went through so much pain and torture. And they even made him carry his cross down that street by all the people that were mocking him and still just perplexed and confused by the the magnitude of this moment. And you look at that and you say, wait a second here. God, what, what is your definition of reconciliation? How is it in that one act, in that one moment of time, that God, you actually reconciled the world to yourself? And in that one act, in that one moment of time, that you actually reconciled me to yourself? And that's what Paul's going to teach us today in these 11 verses. So if you have a a Bible app on your phone, I encourage you to open that and you can go to that on your phone. If you want to grab one of the chair Bibles that are right in front of us, you can do that. If you're in the front row, they're underneath the seat. And we are, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. It's found on page 942. And as you're turning there, if you do not have a Bible or the Bible that you have needs to get replaced, uh, on behalf of our church, please take the one that's in front of you home today. We'd just love to give that to you as a gift.
And so Romans chapter five, beginning in verse one, this is what Paul says. Therefore, which is great, he's recapping last week. So if you weren't here last week, he's gonna recap it for you. Therefore, all the stuff that I taught you in chapter four, since we have been justified by, good, because this is what we talked about, we're not justified by our works, we have peace with God. Because of what God has done for us, he has given us his peace, and he gave it to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, it is through him we have also obtained access, again, by faith, in case we didn't get it last week, into this grace, which we're gonna talk about in the future, in which we stand, in which we rejoice, in hope of the glory of God. Such incredible encouragement. Maybe you were here and you forgot all of this. It's really important that you remember today. You are justified. God has justified you even when you were dead in your sins. And how many of you, you remember our definition from last week, those that you were here? You guys remember what the definition of justification is? Oh, you have no idea how that warms my heart, right? Look at that, so many of you got that right. Just as if I ever, never sinned. That's the easiest way to remember justification. That it's not our works that make us right with God. It's the grace of God, it's the mercy of God. It's his faithfulness to us, the promises that he gives us as a gift, and it all happens through faith. And so now that we know that, now that we understand that, this is what he goes on to say. Look at verse three with me. Not only that, so remember that, don't forget about justification, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Wait a second, who wants to rejoice in sufferings? Where are you going with this, Paul? Knowing that sufferings produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because look at this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. And now if you read any of, of Paul's other writings and he wrote most of the, the letters in the New Testament, he loves lists, he's a list guy. And so if you're a bullet point person, you, you, you resonate with Paul as well. This is how his natural uh, style is and God definitely used him as a human being uh, in his natural style to write this, but these are words from God. And as we look at these, what we realize is that even in suffering, that even in suffering, that God is actually at work in your life and in my life. See, sometimes there's confusion about this, right? People come to the, come to the Christian faith or, or maybe they're gonna you know, give Jesus a try and they think, okay, if I do this and everything in life should work out and I'm never gonna have any troubles, I'm never gonna have any sorrows, I'm never gonna have any pain. And actually, God never says that in his word. In fact, in James, he actually tells us, count it all joy when you face trials and he doesn't just say trials, he says trials of many kinds. In fact, Jesus, even when he was with his disciples, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. You're gonna have trouble. But take heart, because I'm the one that's overcome the world. Realize that I'm always at work in your heart and your life, and if you're in a situation, you kind of have two options when it comes to turbulent times. You can kind of come into this mold where you're like, man, what did I do to make God angry? Why do all these bad things keep happening to me? How come nobody else has to go through these hardships? Why is it that all of these things, man, I gotta figure out how to you know, be a better Christian and pray more, go to church more, give more, whatever the case may be is, so that I can get God off my back so I can stop making him angry with me. Or as this passage puts it, you can look at it this way. 
mean, God, I don't completely understand what I'm going through and why I'm going through this right now. But God, I'm gonna hang on to the promises that you give me in your word, that you have in fact created me and that you love me and that you've justified me and that you've reconciled me to yourself. And God, for whatever reason, you have me in this situation and you're, you're gonna be able to take the situation, you're gonna be able to turn it around for the good, that it's actually gonna build this endurance in my life and in my heart. And as this endurance is being built and as I continue to trust in you, even though it's frustrating, even though I don't completely understand, that God, even in the midst of that, you're building my character. God, that you care about me so much that you just didn't come to save me, but that you're constantly working in my heart and my life. That this isn't the end for me, no matter how old you are in this room. That God is still forming you into the image of his son and that your character is important to God. And as he develops your character, think about this. He reminds you of the hope that you have now in Christ, and he reminds you of the hope that you will have to come with Jesus that one day you will close your eyes in this life and you will open them in the next and when you do that, you will see Jesus face to face. And all of this is the working of the Holy Spirit. All of this is God literally working in your heart and in your life. And because of that, we don't have to have shame. When the hardships come and maybe other people look at us and go, man, you must have ticked off God. Or man, why do you keep having difficult situations and circumstances? You can say, I don't know. I don't know why this is going on, but man, God sure loves me, right? God's building my endurance. God's building my character, and I am not gonna let go of the hope that God has given me. That's what you can say as a follower of Jesus, and that is what he is communicating to the church in Rome. It's what God's communicating to us today, amen? Amen. Now look at what he says next. Verse six. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. To me, one of the most powerful sentences in all of scripture. In fact, as you dig into this one and you learn this term that's used here to describe this, it's actually a medical term, it's used to describe something that's completely incapacitated. You can't do anything. You cannot participate this. You cannot help the doctor in this. There's nothing that you can do. You are completely helpless. And yet, while we were weak, while we were completely helpless, God, at the exact time that he picked, just as he picked the exact time that he would create the world, just as he picked the exact time that he would create you, at just the right time, he sends Christ into this world to die, not for people who are getting it right, not for godly people, for the ungodly, for sinners like you and for me. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever been in a situation where you've had to be completely reliant on another person? Anybody ever been in that kind of a situation? where you just got yourself in a situation and you, there was no way for you to get out. How many of you, maybe you realize, maybe in this context, how many of you have had surgery, right? Isn't it kind of wild? You've trusted a doctor to put a mask on your face to say goodbye, you're going to sleep. And you just hope that he's educated and he knows or she knows what they're doing and that they're gonna, you're going to wake up on the other side of that surgery. Think about that. Think of the faith that you've had to have in that, completely incapacitated. There's absolutely nothing that you could do. It's kind of interesting because a few weeks ago, when I was at the gym, I was bench pressing. And uh, 
the last several months I've had a partner at the gym, which is always a really good idea when you're lifting weights, by the way, just, you know, public service announcement. And my partner wasn't able uh, to be there, uh, and so here I am lifting weights all by myself. I'm bench pressing. Any bench pressers out there? I know some of you are like, you do not go to the gym. You are making this up. <laughs> Someone needs to fact-check fact him after the service, but trust me, I know it was 20 pounds, but it's still weight, okay? It still counts as weight. And so I got a little courageous and I added a little bit more and I started feeling good about myself so I added a little bit more weight and I'm like, I got this. I'm going to be so strong. I'm going to be so ripped. <laughs> it's coming. Just wait, okay? <laughs> and all of a sudden, the bar came crashing down on my chest and I could not get that silly thing back up. And I was like, oh, dear God, what am I going to do? And I look over the corner of my eye and there's a trainer and he's working with a couple and they are so involved in what they're talking about. And I thought to myself, I can cry out right now and I know for a fact, that guy works here, he's a trainer, he's gonna come over and he's gonna rescue me. And I, in my head I'm like, but if I do that, do you know how embarrassing that'll be? <laughs> my pride as, as the bar is pressing against my chest and I'm having this conversation in my head and, and, and just, you know, how I'm not just going to cry out and he's going to hear me. The whole gym's going to hear me and everyone's going to turn and stare at me and I'm going to have to do the walk of shame to the locker room, right? <laughs> and I kid you not, at just the right time, at just the right time, this arm from heaven came out. <laughs> just one arm. And, 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 <laughs> and picked up the bar and put it back on the holder. And I was like, God just rescued me <laughs> and my pride, right? I'm like, he's rescued me and my pride. And I turn around and there's this guy walking away. He's like, it looked like he was in his early 20s and he had like, he had like really big muscles, just so you know. <laughs> and he didn't say a word, he didn't embarrass me, nothing. And after I took a few deep breaths and I took a bunch of weight off the thing, uh, <laughs> I'm now down pretty much to the bar. I went over to him later on, I just said, thank you so much. I said, that was just really kind of you. And he said, no problem, man, we've all been there. Wasn't that nice? At just the right time. Man, God is always working on our behalf. At just the right time. He sends people into our lives to encourage us and to walk alongside us. Man, at just the right time. Think about how gracious and good our God really, truly is. He even goes on to say, right, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. This is one of those passages often used in our context when we think about our military men and women that go and they fight wars and they fight wars on foreign land so that they don't have to be fought here. That even as they sacrifice for one another and they do things, incredible things, these incredible feats of bravery, to go and to sacrifice their lives, right? This does happen, we see this in our society. I don't know how many of you read the news a few weeks ago about a, a crossing guard, an individual, the man is 88 years old and he's been working at this school and he loves helping kids cross from one side of the street to the other. What a cool thing to do, right? Still kicking, still has breath in his lungs, still serving others in this world. And it just happened to be this particular day, it was in Kansas City, he saw the corner of his eye, a car come speeding around the corner. And two little boys were getting ready to cross the street. 
And he realized that this was not going to end well. And so this 88-year-old man leaped out into the street and pushed these boys out of harm's way as the car then impacted him and took his life. And you read that and you go, man, there are still some incredible people on this planet. There's still some incredible people that really, they, in a moment of time, even when it comes to, to giving up their own life, are willing to do it for others. Certainly being kids, right? Do these kids deserve this? Absolutely not. Did this man deserve this? Absolutely not. But yet, God, what does he do? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, when we were still caught in the mess that we got ourselves in, Christ died for us. And so since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, because it's his blood that was poured out on the cross, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He's saving us from the eternal damnation that we deserve. In fact, he goes on to say it this way, and these are our last two verses today, 10 and 11. It says this, for if while we were enemies, so again, we're saved from the wrath, we're enemies of God, we were reconciled, here's our word, to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, because he's risen from the dead. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received, key word of the day, reconciliation. I mean, God, you have reconciled us. And why did you reconcile us? This wrath of God, maybe this is new to you. What does it mean you're telling me that I'm an enemy of God? This is what it says. It says it this way plainly in Isaiah. It says this, but you, your iniquities made a separation between you and your God and your sins have been hidden from his face so that he does not hear. See, this is the reality. This is what you gotta realize this morning. This is where you kinda dig a little bit deeper into the doctrines and understanding what it is that Paul is getting at in this text, and it's on the screen here. God is actually holy. He is a holy God, and he actually demands that you and I be holy. He wants you and I to be holy. And the way that we're holy is actually by fulfilling the law that he has given us, that he's given us in his word. We know the commandments, we know the laws, we know what he's told us to do, and yet we don't do it. We go our own way and we disobey. And without a perfect fulfillment of the law, a reconciliation with God is actually impossible. That you, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, no matter what mission you try to go on, which is that movie The Mission is a really good example of that, this mission that he tries to go on to reconcile his own sins and he gets to the end of it, he realizes he can't reconcile it. Somebody else has to do it for him. But man, that's exactly how it is here that he's holy and he demands that we be holy. And not only that, God is just and cannot condone our sin. He can't just say, well, I created you and I knew that you were gonna screw it up and so you sinned and so, okay, well, I guess that's okay and we'll just try to do our best with what we have. No, God actually demands a full atonement for our sin. And he did this throughout the Old Testament. They did this in, in the form of animal sacrifices. And based on the sins that you committed, you would have to take these animals to the priest and they would have to sacrifice them. There was an atonement for the sins that you committed. And yet God is saying, you're sinners. And something needs to change. There needs to be a reconciliation. And you cannot do it on your own. It is impossible without God. Amen. And it's as simple as this and it's as beautiful as this. 
And it's as powerful as this. This is how he puts it in 1 Corinthians. This is how he reconciles us. 1 Corinthians 5, it says this, for our sake, God made Jesus. God made Jesus to be the sin who knew no sin. He put all of that on his shoulders so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of our sins, think about this, placed on Jesus's shoulders, placed on his back, as the crown was placed on on his head, as all of the things that he endured, all of that, God was placing all of those things upon Jesus for you and for me. See, Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfilled the law. When he walked this earth, he did everything exactly the way he was supposed to. Every single thing he did exactly the way that God told him to do. He fulfilled it. And he also fully atoned for our sins on that cross. When the sins came upon him, and in the, in the right moment, at the right time, when Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished, he knew that he had accomplished his mission. And he did it because he loves you and because he loves me. Again, only God was able to do this. Only God was able to reconcile the whole world. The whole world's been reconciled to him. Just so you know, remember that. When you read about other parts of the world, you read about other countries and you think there's no hope, guess what? God's reconciled that part of the world and God has reconciled those countries to himself as well. And not only has he done that, he's the only one who can reconcile the human heart. And some of us, as hard as we try, and some of us, maybe we get frustrated with loved ones because they're not acting the way that they should act, and maybe they say they're followers of Jesus and the sin continues to plague them, and we do everything that we can. We do everything we can to speak grace and truth into their lives. Still, at the end of the day, God is the only one that can break that human heart, that can bring a human heart close to him and explain to them and help them understand the love and the grace and the mercy they receive through Jesus Christ. See, our job is just to come alongside of them and to point to what Christ has done for us and what Christ promises in his word and what Christ can actually do for them. And so as we look at these terms this morning, as we look at justification and what it is that God has done for us in reconciliation, God, we're thankful that you have brought us back into a a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. But even in that, God, you've also given this this opportunity to share this incredible news with others. And so the only other portion of Scripture in all of the Bible that Paul goes into any length explaining reconciliation is actually found in 2 Corinthians. And this is actually the cornerstone Scripture of our church. I said this a few weeks ago on our 40th birthday. This is actually the Scripture that's in our church constitution. This is what drives our congregation. This is actually what it says. Is that all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, again, not counting people's sins against them, then look at what he says now, okay? Look at what he says. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Notice it doesn't say the message of revenge. 
doesn't say the message of revenge. It's not go out and, you know, eye for an eye and go get that person that offended you and go and, you know, square up the, the, the debt that's owed to you because of what's been done. No, our message, the message that he's handed to us is the message of reconciliation that while we were dead in our sins and we didn't deserve it, maybe we could go and extend grace and mercy and hope to those that are dead in their sins, to those that haven't yet had an opportunity to experience the love and the mercy of our God. And he even calls us ambassadors, right? We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. All the world. He wants all the world to come to a saving knowledge of him. He wants everyone to be reconciled to him. So this morning, as, as we conclude our message this morning, it's what I want you to think about. It's what I want you to focus on today and throughout this entire week that every morning you wake up, realize God has already reconciled the entire world to himself. He did it, and thanks be to God, we don't have to participate in it. Thanks be to God, he's the one that did it for us. And not only has he reconciled the world, he continues to reconcile human hearts and lives to himself. He's still at work in this place. So we don't have to look to the movies, right? We don't have to try to be the guys in the movies. That's for me, right? I can let go of that in my college years. But instead, we can look to the one who has impacted this world and our lives. And we do it full of grace and mercy. Because I want to go back to our verse 11 here. This is our response. This is why we get to leave here with our heads held high. Look at the last sentence. We rejoice. We get to remember, God, thank you for what you've done. We get to leave here with joy in our hearts. We get to go out in the fellowship hall and we get to look other people in the eyes and realize that God has done the same incredible thing for them. And we get to face this week knowing we are children of God and that he's working in our hearts and our lives and he is never gonna stop working in our hearts and our lives. That's God's message for you this week, Shepherd's Gate. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, once again, we're just so in awe of the incredible words that you give us in Scripture. God, something that's been written so long ago, but yet it has the ability to pierce our hearts and our lives even to this day. So God, we thank you for the hope that you have reminded us of once again that we have in you. We thank you, God, that it is you that continues to work out your perfect plan. God, I pray for those that are in here and maybe they are in a season where they're going through difficulties and hardships. God, I pray that you would just put a hedge of protection around their minds and around their hearts. And God, may they realize that you are even at work, even in those difficult situations. And that, God, you're going to continue to pour out your love as you just taught us in your word, that you're going to continue to pour out your love into their lives to give them that endurance, to build their character. God, to give them hope. God, we just are so humbled and grateful for everything that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ, who is our risen Savior and Lord. It's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Will you please stand with me this morning? And now may God bless you as you go throughout your day. May he continue to watch over and lead and guide you and remind you 
that you are a reconciled child of God. Thanks again so much for being here today. This concludes our service. A guest, if you're here, uh, we'd love to connect with you in the fellowship hall. We have cookies and refreshments and coffee and all sorts of things in there. Otherwise, we'll see you here next week. Make sure you bring somebody with you, all right? God bless. See you next week.